Well, if you have a Bible, if you would turn to uh, 1 Kings chapter 2. So I've entitled this message today, Show Thyself a Man or a Woman. It, it works both ways, but it's maybe a little more geared towards men, but all the principles would apply towards women. And I'd say, you know, we have statistically in America, 50% of America agrees with President Obama and the legislation is being passed about same-sex marriage. So I'd say there's a little bit of confusion in America over what it means to be a man. I mean, we got problems with that in our culture, if you're not aware of it. And this British psychologist named Joshua Beerer, here's how he described American men, a bunch of weak-kneed, lily-livered sissies. Most American men would kind of sit up in their seat when they hear that, but that's what this British psychologist, how he described American males. And before, he used to say he thought the women were at fault and that the women were aggressively trying to dominate our society. But then he changed his viewpoint. In his opinion, men are compelling women to take over because they won't take charge, is what he said. And so he goes to these seminars and speaks on these issues, and he figured all these men were going to get upset when he said things like that, that, hey, you guys aren't taking charge, you aren't meeting your responsibilities, and you're forcing women to do what they probably would rather not do. And he thought the men would get upset. They didn't get upset. They agreed with him, is what he said. And he said, and his, his last words were, it's a still a fatherless society. And I talked about that a while back. We've got problems when fathers aren't home and mothers are raising kids. But it's a fatherless society. Husbands are not husbands. And he said this, all the women are crying out for a strong man, and he's just not there. See, so you think, well, my man's just a little too strong for me. I wish he'd toned down a little bit. So I understand it works both ways. I understand that. But we do have a problem, and it's not just in America. Because listen to this. Al Mohler, who's president of Southern Seminary, wrote an article that I printed out one time. It's called The Chicken of the Sea, A Modern Tale of Fear, Failure, and Cowardice. And this really happened. It was in the news. 2012, Captain Francesco Chattino. He deliberately took a giant cruise ship, 4,200 people on this cruise ship, the Costa Concordia, took it off course and brought the vessel dangerously close to this rocky shore just so one of his crew members could greet his family. And during the maneuver, it hit an outcropping of rock. The ship tore a massive hole in the hull, and within 30 seconds, that ship was filling up with dark, murky water. The captain realized, I got a major problem on my hand. He put the ship in a reef, and it started listing sideways. And as that water filled in, the death toll reached 30 very quickly. But guess what? That captain got off that ship long before most passengers were rescued and got himself in a rescue boat. So Captain Gregorio De Falco of the Italian Coast Guard, when he found out that this captain had abandoned his ship and wasn't on that ship anymore, he ordered Chatino to return to his ship and to command the rescue operation because Merchant Marine Officer's Handbook Here's the first thing that is in there. The first responsibility cited to a ship captain is this. The captain is to be the last man to leave the vessel. So listen to this. There's a longer article that I'm going to give you. But here, they had this conversation was taped between DeFalco and Chatino. 
they had a conversation. And here's how it went. Here's what DeFalco said to this cowardly captain. Chatino, listen, Chatino, there are people trapped on board. Now you go with your boat under prow on the starboard side. There is a pilot ladder. You will climb the ladder and go on board. You go on board, then you will tell me how many people there are. Is that clear? I'm recording this conversation, Commander Chatino. And he later went on and said this, you go up that pilot ladder, get on that ship and tell me how many people are still on board and what they need. Is that clear? You need to tell me if there are children, women, or people in need of assistance and tell me the exact number of each of these categories. Is that clear? Listen, Chatino, you saved yourself from the sea, but I am going, and he got so frustrated, I said, I'm going to make sure you get in trouble. I'm going to make you pay for this. Go on board, blankety blank blank, he told him. And the Italian authorities confirmed Chatino never got back on board that ship, never returned to the vessel, even when he was told passengers remained in danger and some bodies had already been found. So here's what Al Mohler wrote about this. I'm going to read to you real quick what he wrote, just a short paragraph here, because I thought I couldn't say this any better. He says, what are we to do with Captain Chatino? He will go down in history as an example of miserable failure, dereliction of duty, radical cowardness, and the collapse of manhood. He failed to do what any man in his position would be expected to do. He even refused a direct command to take up his duty once he had abandoned it. And we are left with the tragic picture of a frightened man who abandoned his post when he was most needed and consigned over 4,200 human beings in his care to the dark water. You know, men aren't like they used to be. When you watch those old movies about the Titanic and you read stories of what happened, those men stayed on board and for the most part, there was just a few cowards, for the most part, they bravely died and bravely gave up their spaces to women and children and that captain did not abandon ship, went down with it. So here's what I want to ask us today. We're saying, show thyself a man, we'll read that. And does God care if we as Christians act responsibly as men or women with moral courage? We all have to have moral courage in this life. So let's pray. Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you'll open your word up to us today and speak to all of our hearts and show us the moral courage and responsibility that you expect out of us as your people in this day. And we thank you that you'll do that for us in Jesus' name. So let's begin reading. We'll just read the first 12 verses of 1 Kings chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and here's our message, and show thyself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do, and whithersoever you turn yourself, that the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, if thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. Moreover, thou knowest also what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me, and what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel, unto Abner, the son of Ner, and unto Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he slew, and shed the blood of war in peace, and put the blood of war upon his girdle, 
that was about his loins and in his shoes that were on his feet. Do therefore according to thy wisdom, and let not his hoar head go down to the grave in peace. But show kindness unto the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be of those that eat at thy table. For so they came to me when I fled because of Absalom thy brother. And behold, you have with thee Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite of Behurim, which cursed me with a grievous curse in the day when I went to Mahanaim. But he came down to meet me at Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put thee to death with the sword. Now, therefore, hold him not guiltless, for you are a wise man, and you know what you ought to do unto him. But his whore head bring down thou to the grave with blood. So David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the days that David reigned over Israel were forty years. Seven years reigned he in Hebron, and thirty and three years reigned he in Jerusalem. And then sat Solomon upon the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was established greatly. So let me ask you, what was the purpose of David giving that charge to his son Solomon? What was the purpose of that? We just read it in verse 12. Look at it again. It says, Then sat Solomon upon the throne of David his father, and here was his purpose. He wanted that kingdom to be established, it says, greatly. Men and women here, mothers and all of us, we have a responsibility to God to establish the kingdom of God in our lives and in our homes. We have that same charge. But we have to be men and women of God to do that. Spiritual men and women. Godly men and women, don't we? So you say, hey, that's what I want to be. I want to be that type of person. Well, then let's look at what David told Solomon he had to do. He gave him some instructions here. And look, we see in verses 1 and 2 there, it says, The days of David drew nigh that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. So he was a dying man. He knew he was dying. He knew his days were numbered. And you would think that dying men would have Words worth hearing. They're going to make their last words worth hearing. <laughs> I'll tell you what, the, with the ungodly, that is not the case. If you look at a book that tells the last thing some of the ungodly people said, some of them are good, but most of them are ignorant. Like Winston Churchill, his last words before he went into a coma and died was, I'm bored with it all. Well, how would you like that to be your last words before you step into eternity? Benjamin Franklin says, a dying man can do nothing easy. Those were his last words. But a godly man will have last words that are worth hearing. So the Lord Jesus Christ, he knew his death was approaching. And you realize that starting in John 13, we have five chapters recorded of the last words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said this in John 13, 1. Now it says, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them on to the end, and he went on and gave them some very sage words that we can read. Matthew 13 through 18. Five chapters. And we have the same thing with Moses, one of the leaders. He gave this charge to Joshua as he approached his death. Deuteronomy 31, And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thy days approach that thou must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of the congregation, that I, the Lord saying, 
Both of you come together in the tabernacle. I want to give him a charge. Joshua. Mind me, give him a charge. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of the congregation. And Moses gave Joshua, the son of Nun, a charge and said, this is what the Lord told him, be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land which I swear unto them, and I will be with you. Now, those are good last words to be given somebody. And we'll look more at what about Joshua here in a little bit. And Paul did the same thing to Timothy. You know, 2 Timothy was the last letter that Paul wrote. He was a dying man, or he was going to be offered up to die. He wasn't dying, getting ready to be martyred. And he said this in 2 Timothy. He said, for now I am ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. He knew he was ready to die. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And so here's what he tells Timothy. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Here is his charge to young Timothy as he knows he's ready to depart. Here's what he wants him to know. What's he, what did he tell him? Preach the word, he tells him. Because he knew that was for the advancement of the kingdom of God, which was all that Paul cared about. That was his life. Advancement of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, hey, I'm about ready to depart. I'm telling you, Timothy, don't forget this. Preach the word, whether they want to hear it or not. Be instant, in season, out of season. We know the verse. Rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. That's what he told him. So David here is telling Solomon, he's saying, look, I'm not going to be with you. And you're going to be in charge. Solomon was a young man at the time. Now, I'm sure David had given him certain amount of responsibilities growing up, but he hadn't had David's background and his experience, had he? And things are going to be different now. His dad's not around. So it's different when all of the responsibility is suddenly on your shoulders. And that's the way it is. I know when, when my wife's dad, he was training up her brother to run that business and all that, but he was always there to go to to get help from her dad when he was around. When her dad passes away, boom, it is all on him. And it showed because he aged, started looking aged quickly. But it makes a difference, and that's what we have going on here. He's given that charge. And David's telling him, it's all yours now, Solomon. I'm not going to be around. And here's what you need to know. This is why we need to pay attention. He's saying, this is what you need to know to be successful as a man, as a leader. And that counts for all of us in our homes, right? So the first thing he tells him is, you need to be strong. Verse 2, he says, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. And don't we know this? If we're truly going to trust God, it takes guts to trust the word of God and to stay true. It is not for the faint of heart. It really isn't. If we're really going to trust the Lord. So if you'll turn over to Joshua 1, we just talked about Joshua. Turn over to Joshua 1, we'll see that courage and strength are what we need. So three times in Joshua chapter 1, the Lord commands Joshua to be strong and courageous. Because he's got some promises to fulfill and a lot of responsibilities on his shoulders, and it's not going to be easy. And that's the way it is for every man that is the head of his household. And so we see in Joshua 1, 6, he's told there, Be strong and of a good courage, 
For unto this people shall thou divide an inheritance in the land which I swore unto their fathers to give them. Verse 7, only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper whithersoever you go. Verse 9, have not I commanded thee? It's a command. Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Why? For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. So what kind of strength are we talking about? Be strong and of good courage. We know he's not talking about physical strength. He's not talking about Rambo's strength, right? Or the Terminator or PX-90 type strength. Get you built up in 30 days, you look like a real man. That's not the kind of strength we're talking about. We know that, right? The kind of strength we're talking about is strength of character. And so how do we get that strength of character? Well, I see three things in those three commands on to be strong and courageous. And the first one, how we get strength, we find in Joshua 1.6. It's because of the promises should give us strength and courage. He says, verse 6, be strong and of a good courage. Why? For, this is the why, unto this people shall you divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give him. So what's he saying? He's saying, look, your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, promises were made to them about this land, that they would possess this land. And you need to see that God has been faithful to bring you to a place to conquer this land and to fulfill those promises. And so be strong and courageous. He didn't let them down. Joshua knew all about them, and he's not going to let you down. God would be there to deliver them. Let me ask you, could God be trusted to fulfill what he said to Joshua? Could he be trusted? But turn back in Joshua. Let's look at the end of Joshua. Could God be trusted to fulfill his promises? Look at Joshua 21 in verses 43 to 45. Look what he says. And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware unto their fathers. And that's what he told Joshua he would do for him, right? And they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he sware unto their fathers, the promises. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. And look at verse 45. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. Now, can we believe that for ourselves? And the promises and the things that we see that when he says, I'm your healer, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you have received and you shall have it. Can we trust that? Amen. I mean, I'm looking at people living testimonies today in current and past to where in trusting and standing and courageously standing on God's promises, they saw that he does not fail, does he? So we're looking at 21. Turn over to chapter 23 and look at verse 14. I'm saying this is how we can be strong and courageous, by trusting God, the one that will fulfill his promises. 23.14, it says, and behold, this day, here's Joshua getting ready to pass off the scene. I am going the way of all the earth. And look what he tells him. You know in all your hearts and in all your souls, this is something you know, that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing has failed. 
Has God ever failed us? Honestly, he never has. If we're going to be honest, I'm going to have to either believe you or him or what I'm reading in this word. It says never one thing that God has promised us has ever failed, has it? You can wreck on a motorcycle and all your skin be peeled back, and God doesn't fail you, does he? He doesn't. Now, we may fail him. We may not be living lives where he can bless us, but that's not his fault. I mean, when there was sin in the camp, they did fail in a sense, but it wasn't them, did they? They got that right and moved on, and they conquered that land. And Joshua led them that way. He's saying, you can trust the promises of God, and we can. And that should give us strength and courage, that God is faithful. Looking at this, we know in our hearts that if we have our hearts right with him, not one thing will ever fail. And that should give us courage to trust the promises. So... Back to Joshua 1, the second thing we see here is the promises are in verse 6. And in verse 7, the second thing that will make us strong and courageous is obedience to his word. Verse 7, only be thou strong and very courageous, because it's going to take that, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, and the reason is, if we want to prosper, if we want to see God to be with us and bless us and to fulfill his promises, we need to be faithful to him. Deuteronomy 11.8 says this. He told them this once they were in the land. Therefore shall you keep all the commandments which I command you this day, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land whither you go to possess it. So obedience gives us strength. You know why? Because it gives you a clear conscience. And when your conscience is clear and that promise is before you and what God said he will do, you can be like a dog with that bone. Just go out. Like a bulldog's got that bone in his teeth. You're not going to get it away from him. You got a clear conscience. Uh-uh. The Lord told me this is what he'll do for me, and he will. And I've been walking in obedience. I'm not convicted that I'm living in sin. So get thee hence, Satan. And that's what will happen. That obedience to his commands will cause us to be strong and courageous and trust in him. And the last thing we see in verse 9 is we need his grace. Verse 9, he says, Have I not commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage? Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. He says, For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever you go. That's his grace. God is with you to help us in time of need. And knowing that he'll be there to help us and see us through when we're in a trial, no matter how hard it seems, that should give us courage and strength. So, we just heard a message not that long ago on grace, but back to 2 Timothy, Paul's dying letter to Timothy, he said to be strong, told Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's his last admonition to him. And why is he telling him that? That's in chapter 2. Because he goes on to say in chapter 3, and this is for us that he wrote this. Chapter 3 says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. So I would say now is when we need to heed that admonition to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because we're living on the edge of perilous times. We need to know how to partake of that grace. To have the strength to stand in these days, in these times that are coming, in the looting, in the economies that are just on the brink of collapsing. We need to know about the grace of God and to know that we can partake of it. 
Because that grace is how we're able to stand. Our source of strength to fight the devil. Ephesians 6, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's his grace. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It won't be in our own strength. It'll be in the strength of his grace. And that's why Romans 5 says this. We have peace with God to our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith, access into grace. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have peace. And we, through our faith, through trusting him, we, it gives us a door. There's a door where we can walk into, into God's grace. And that, he says, is how we stand. But we have to access through that door by our faith and trust him for that grace. Paul begins all his letters, grace, mercy, and peace. It is something we need in our lives daily to stand against the wiles of the enemy, to stand against all the temptations and trials that come our way. We've got to walk through that door by faith and thus be able to stand. And we will really need that in these last days. Like Solomon, we will need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one man said this, and I thought this was good. He said, courage is grace under pressure. But I thought about that. I thought, that's good. I got no problem with that. I wouldn't change that in and of itself. Courage is grace under pressure. But I would say this. Pressure should give us the courage to ask for more grace. I'd change it a little bit. Because when that trial's coming on and that furnace is getting hot, that's not the time to act like, man, I'm Mr. Tough Guy. That's the time, it says, to go boldly, Hebrews 4.16, to the throne of grace in time of need. God, I need you to help me. I am struggling. This trial is overwhelming me. These circumstances seem like they're more than I can handle. And that's when you go to the throne of grace. Help me. I want to hold on to you. I want to stand. I want to know that your presence is with me. Fear is going to be our worst enemy. That's our worst enemy. And we need the grace of God to stand against that. So a godly man, he's going to overcome fear by trusting in the grace of God. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man will bring a snare, and it will. But whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Oh, we've heard that verse. That's an old verse. It's a great verse, though. So you fear what people are thinking about you, what they're saying, what they're going to do to you, and it will snare your faith. Because it'll get your eyes off the promises of God and all the things we've just talked about, his promises, his faithfulness. But it says, whoso puts his trust in the Lord, just the opposite of what the world tells you, it says, will be safe. That person will be safe. So the way to overcome fear isn't to flex your muscles, spiritually or any otherwise, and show how tough you are, is it? The way to overcome fear is to fear God and to trust Him. It really is. So head over to Matthew chapter 10, if you would, please. So we're talking about this is how God expects us to live fearless lives, not like the captain of that ship who was afraid of dying. In Matthew 10, beginning in verse 24, Jesus says, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, 
For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak you in light. And what you hear in the ear, that search you upon the housetops. And fear them not, which kill the body. Don't fear ISIS. Don't fear what a terrorist can do. He says, which are not able to kill the soul. They kill the body, but not the soul. But rather, he says, fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And yet one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not therefore. What's the therefore? He's saying God cares about us. We don't have to fear what a man is going to do to us because he's saying God cares about us. Fear ye not therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I am not come to send peace, but a sword. He's saying you're going to have trouble. You're going to have to be able to take stands for the Lord Jesus Christ and to confess him when the situation isn't comfortable. Be a man. For I am come to set a man at various against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. And he that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that takes not his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. And he that finds his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. He's saying right there, we can't fear men. We've got to be a man and stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, despite that warning in Matthew 10, what happened with Peter? He denied the Lord, didn't he? Shamefully denied the Lord. But that wasn't the end of it. That wasn't the end of the story for Peter, was it? Because Jesus said, I'll be praying for you. And he did. And Peter was turned. But even more significantly than that, what brought the big change in Peter to where he's given in to a little girl saying she recognized him and he gave in to fear of her to where he's preaching in front of the multitudes and not worried about dying? He's actually so delivered from fear that the night before they're getting ready to execute him, he is so fast asleep, the angel has to hit him on the side with the sword to wake him up. Yeah. Totally changed person. What changed Peter? Holy the Holy Spirit totally changed him. And it should be changing us. Amen. If you're a, a person that's fearful, you're afraid to witness, to share the gospel, to take a stand at work or amongst people that you know are going to disagree with you, you should be yielding to the Holy Spirit and trusting that he'll deliver you from that. Because what do we have? What does it say? What kind of spirit do you receive? What's the spirit we're to yield to? Is it a spirit of fear? <laughs> and how many times do we do that? But listen, 2 Timothy says this, God has not given us, that didn't come from God, a spirit of fear. The spirit he's given us is of power and of love and of a sound mind. And he says, be not thou therefore. He's saying because of that, because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Therefore, he says, be not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, He's saying, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and the great feelings, yeah, that's there too. But it's given us to have power 
over fear. We don't have to give in. And we have the power to partake of afflictions that come as a result of us taking our stand. That's what Paul said. According to the power of God, he says, be a partaker of the afflictions I'm partaking of. So because of the Holy Spirit we have, if we truly have it, and God has given it to us, we're able to take a stand on the truths of the gospel and endure the afflictions that come as a result. And listen, afflictions that we have to stand against, they don't always come from men, but many times they come from women, men. Because listen, in America, we just talked about it at the beginning, right? Men, a lot of times, are more afraid of women than other men. And you know where that started? Clear back in Genesis, right? Didn't it? Because the devil tempted Eve, but when Eve came to Adam, he was responsible. You know why? He should have stood up to her, and he didn't. And he's held responsible, and that's the reason we're all born sinners, because he didn't stand up to his wife. Now, like I said earlier, I mean, some guys aren't real nice about things in church here at times. And so we're not talking about that. We're not talking about not treating your wife with respect and love, are we? But I'm saying sometimes you've got to take a stand. Because what about old Jezebel? What about old Jezebel? I think she had a little bit of manipulation in her, maybe just a little bit, right? So she mocked Ahab when he wouldn't take Naboth's vineyard. You ever wonder why that was? She was a heathen from clear up on the northwest coast. And her dad, he was a heathen king, a great king. And he wouldn't have hesitated to take anybody's land he wanted. And she knew that growing up. And she's saying, Ahab, what, you're a man of justice? In the Bible, what's the matter with you, you little wimp? And she tells him, no, no, no. Here's actually what she said to him. She says, do you now reign over Israel? Like, what kind of king are you? What kind of man are you? She's telling him. And so what did Ahab do? He's like, yeah, well, I'll give in to you, honey. All right, just back off a little bit, sweetheart. <laughs> and does what he knew wasn't right. Gave in to her. But you know what it says about Ahab? Afraid to stand up to his wife when he needed to, and he could have done it in a nice way. But it says this about Ahab. It says, surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. So I'm saying we've got to be strong and courageous. Sometimes it's a girl or your wife or your sweetheart that you have to say, no, it's not going to be this way. I believe this is what the Lord would have us to do. And you might have to take a little bit of grief because Herodias, what about old Herodias? It says this, Herod, it said, fear John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy. Herod feared John. He knew that what he said was right about what him and his wife were pulling off. And he shouldn't have been married to her. And it said he feared him. And he knew he was a just and holy man, that he was a prophet. But he feared Herodias more than he feared John, didn't he? And it says in the Bible that Herodias, she had a quarrel with John. And Herod didn't want to have a quarrel with her. So what did he do? He served up John's head to her. That didn't bring any blessings in his household, I guarantee you that. So we have cases like that in the Bible. We have a lot of cases where women were godly and they had to kind of stand up for their man, don't we? Like Abigail. So it works both ways, I understand that. I'm not just trying to set it one way here. 
But God held both Ahab and Herod accountable for their actions. And I'm saying he'll hold us accountable too if we don't take the proper position on issues in our house sometimes. And it may not make you popular with your wife and kids, men. But that's part of being a godly man. That's part of what it is. And Jesus told us that if you want to come and be his disciple, one of the requirements, he says, if any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, and children. And we all know he doesn't mean to literally hate, but you have to hate her in comparison of being obedient to the Lord. And it's the same for women. These principles work both ways. But I think he kind of put that in order to where, you know, you got the parents and then your wife. That's like who you're going to probably give into in that order, the pressure from them. But look, in Revelation 2.20, it's a problem in churches too. Controlling women that aren't being stood up to and men that just sit back. I mean, that's just the case of the way it is in most churches. Women run things. It really is just the way it is. I learned that at school. Got an A on that test. <laughs> just kidding. But Revelation 2.20, listen, they had a problem in a church there. Revelation 2.20, the church at Thyatira. He writes, you allow, you allow, speaking to the leadership, I would say, you allow that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication. Huh. They get rebuked. They're letting the woman control what's being taught in that church. That's definitely against what the Bible teaches. So, this brings me to point two, women influence men in what they do because, back to 1 Kings, if you would, please. Go back to 1 Kings 2. I want to look at the second thing in verse 3. The second charge or admonition that David gives Solomon to establish his kingdom in verse 3 says this. First he says, you've got to show yourself a man and be strong. And secondly, in verse 3, he says, you need to keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and whither you turn yourself. So he's being admonished that you need to observe the law. This is the obedience again. He's saying if you want things to prosper for you everywhere you go, you need to observe all that I've told you in the law. So now if you put something there in Kings, 1 Kings 2, a pencil or a ribbon, whatever, and turn back to Deuteronomy 17, we'll see... Part of what he was directly addressed in the law as king, Solomon. This is written to every king that takes over Israel. Deuteronomy 17, beginning in verse 14, it says this. He says, when you are come into the land, this is instructions for the king. When you are come into the land which the Lord thy God gives you, and you possess it, and you shall dwell therein, and shall say, I will set a king over me like as all the nations that are round about me, you shall in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shall you set king over thee, that you may not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord has said unto you, you shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself. Why? that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And it shall be when he sits upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life. 
that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes, to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Now, there's quite a few things listed there that Solomon didn't do real well with, did he? And particularly in verse 17, it says, What? Neither shall he multiply wives to himself. And Solomon really missed it there. <laughs> 700 wives, 300 concubines. That's more than a, at least a dozen men could handle, right? Let alone one. But that was a problem. And what happened? They turned his heart away from following the Lord. And David had warned him about that. See, no, you need to do what God says to do in his law. Clearly warned, it would turn his heart away from the Lord. And you know what? You bring that home today, has Jesus not clearly warned us in Matthew chapter 5 what lust will do? And yet, daily, you read about ministers and church members that are into pornography because of its availability on the Internet and they're gone. It destroys their marriages, their families, their lives. They pick up spirits. They can't get delivered from them. They don't know about being delivered from them. And that shouldn't be the case in here, should it? So we've been clearly warned, Matthew 5, Jesus says, if you've got that problem, don't toy with it. Don't try to watch just a little bit less than yesterday. He says you need to do whatever you have to to cut it off, right? Because if you partake of that, he says, you'll end up in hell. It will destroy you. And all of those wives, most of them were married for political reasons that Solomon had, not for sexual reasons. But they came in and brought their gods and their religions. And that's what happened with Jezebel and Ahab. She's trying to set up all this Baal worship in her religion and pulls him down and the rest of the nation down. And so you don't want to, as a man in here, to be looking at pornography to destroy yourself, your marriage, and your family. And to think it couldn't happen in here, we've had too many things happen in here in the past that I never would have thought would happen in here. So I'm sure I'm speaking to somebody. I just don't know who, thankfully. It's not an unforgivable sin, but it's one I would repent of pronto and take myself to deliverance for if I was involved in that. Because like we said before, obeying the commandments, what's significant to that? What does it do when you know that you're obeying the commandments of the Lord? Like I said, it gives you a clear conscience. And when you have a clear conscience, what do you have then? Confidence in prayer, don't you? 1 John 3, beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God and whatsoever we ask we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And listen... It'd be hard if you don't have confidence because you're not living right with the Lord. How can you lead your family if you can't lead in prayer? Because a lot of what you have to do involves prayer. Praying for them, praying for them when they need healing, your children. And if you don't have that confidence or direction for your business, what direction your family's going to go, we've got to have that confidence that we can go before the Lord and he's given us direction as men and women. It applies both ways. Because women guiding their children at home and through schooling and, and all the instruction, we've got to be looking to the word, obeying the word, and then having that confidence that God is hearing our prayers and directing our steps, that all can be well with us. And he'll do that for us.
The other thing it does, it will give us wisdom. Keeping God's commandments and knowing his word and spending time will give us wisdom in how to wage spiritual warfare. Proverbs 24 says, a wise man is strong. Yea, a man of knowledge that knows and experiences the word. That man, it says, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel thou shalt make war. So you'll know how to do spiritual warfare in your house. And with other people you meet on the street by knowing and obeying the word of the Lord. Because listen, growing up, I'd always be like, I'll just be glad when I get old enough I can be as wise as my dad. Because he always seemed like he knew the right thing to say, the right joke to tell at the right time. My dad, to my mind, was cool. President of a company. I always looked up to my dad. I'm like, one of these days I'll be as wise as him. Because, and I'm still probably not there yet. But right now I just don't know what to say in certain situations. But dad, my dad, he always seemed to. Likeable person and all that. But listen, that's what the word Getting in the word, obeying, meditating on it, it'll give us wisdom way more than any earthly father will. Because listen to Psalm 119. I always like this psalm right here. He says, David wrote, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Through thy commandments, you have made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. So that worldly guy out there, he's worldly smart, but he's a sinner. He doesn't have to have one up on you. You can tell exactly where he's coming from. You can know exactly how you should deal with him yeah, right. through the word of God. Amen. Wiser than I'm my enemies, for they're ever with me. They'll always be with us. And listen to this. He went on to say, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. Listen, I understand more than the ancients. Why? Because I keep thy precepts. And that's what we need to know. Growing up, young man, get in the Bible. Get in the Word. Get in Proverbs. And you'll know how to deal with life's situations. You'll know how to deal with, I'm not sure what this person is doing is right or not. And when you know the law, you'll know, you'll be able to discern right from wrong. Amen. By having your senses exercised and the Holy Spirit opening your eyes to show you things you didn't know before. You know, one time I got in a situation with somebody borrowing something from mine and they tore it up and gave it back to me all torn up. And I'm like, man, that doesn't seem right, but I don't guess I'm supposed to die out. And never... Well, you know, you get in the Bible and you realize when a person, it says in the law, borrows something and it gets destroyed, they're responsible to take care of it. Yeah. So, hey, if they're going to give it back to you broken and you say something and they're like, yeah, hey, well, there it is. Well, then you do die out to that, don't you? Because we're not going to do more than that. But to say you couldn't say something like, hey, brother, I think... You should have taken care of my property, and I think it'd be nice if you took care of fixing it. Nothing wrong with that. And you know that through the Word. Getting in the Bible, it'll teach you a whole lot of things getting in the Bible on how to conduct yourself in life as a young man or a young woman or an old man and an old woman. Going back to Kings here, the third thing I want to look at is there's a legacy to continue. And look in verse 4. He's telling them, you need to be strong, obey the Lord. Why? Verse 4, that the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, if thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. And God had promised David in Psalm 132, he says, the Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body I will set upon your throne if your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony which I teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forever. So God had promised David 
if your sons are faithful, there will be one of them on my throne forever. I will bless them if they remain faithful. That was a promise he gave him. And is he faithful? Second Chronicles, as long as they were faithful, he was faithful. Jehoshaphat, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of his father David and sought not unto Balaam, but sought to the Lord God of his father and walked in his commandments and not after the doings of Israel. Therefore, it says, because his son did what he was supposed to, Jehoshaphat, therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand. And so what he's saying here is, if you'll walk in obedience as a son, as a man, you will keep my legacy going. And that's what we need to do. The Lord Jesus Christ ultimately fulfilled that for David, didn't he? He totally walked perfectly, and his kingdom and his throne is established, the throne of David forever through the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's the way it is as fathers when we instruct our children in the way they should go. And children, when you walk faithfully the way you've been brought up by your parents, then that legacy continues. And that's important that it continues from this generation to the next generation to the next generation. But it comes as we faithfully as parents teach our children through example and by having devotions, however you do it, talking to them through the way about the Word of God and why you do what you do, why we believe what we believe. So over in Deuteronomy 6, if you would turn there, please, we can see that. He says in verse 17, Deuteronomy 6, You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and statutes which He's commanded you, and you shall do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to cast out all thine enemies from before thee as the Lord has spoken. Verse 20, And when your son ask you in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Well, you'll say unto your son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So that legacy just moves on. You instruct your children. You share your testimony with your children. That's basically what they're doing. God brought us out of the land of Egypt. This is what God has done for me, delivered me. You share that with your children. And they observe that. And you say, by walking in this way, this is how God will continue to bless us. And that moves on to their children and the next generation. Because this is what it says, Proverbs 14, 26, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children, the man that fears the Lord, shall have a place of refuge. The just man, it says, Proverbs 20, walks in his integrity. So you're a man of integrity leading your house. You'll walk as a just man, and it says his children are blessed after him. The legacy will move on. And I see that here. Fathers that have been faithful and taught their children, their children are faithfully walking with the Lord. That's the way it works. So we need to walk the walk. 
and teach our children, and it says God will bless our efforts. That's what's going on because there's a legacy to continue. So nothing should mean more to us as fathers and parents and mothers than to see our children walking in the Lord, to continue that legacy, much more than that they got a good education, they're happy, they're well-fed, any of that. That doesn't matter. You want to know that your children are walking in the security of their salvation. Amen? More than anything. All right, so back to 1 Kings, and this will be the last thing that David instructs Solomon. And this is in verses 5 to 9. He tells him, listen, you're going to have some hard things to do. You're going to have to deal with some people in some situations. Some hard things to do, but I also don't want you to remember people that have been nice to the family and shown this kindness. We see that in verses 5 to 9. He says, moreover, you know also, he tells him about Joab, what Joab did to me and what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel, unto Abner and unto Amasa, whom he slew and shed. Innocent blood, he tells him. Verse 6, he says, therefore, you've got wisdom. You'll know how to deal with this. Let not his whore head go down to the grave in peace. You've got something to take care of. You've got some business to take care of, Solomon. You've got some hard things to do, some people to deal with, situations that might not be pleasant. But look in verse 7. Here's a positive one. He says, but show kindness unto the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be of those that eat at thy table. For so they came to me when I fled because of Absalom, thy brother. He's saying, you've got some hard ones to deal with, but I want you to remember also to show some kindness to some people that are left behind. Then he goes on to talk about old Shimei, the rock thrower. We know about him cursing David. He says, yeah, I kind of set him up, told him I wouldn't kill him in my lifetime, but Solomon, you're wise enough. You take care of him for me, would you? <laughs> kind of sounds like the Godfather, right? The Godfather in First Kings. That's something else. That's what we have to do sometimes, don't we? You become head of a household as a man, You've got to take charge of some situations and don't put it off on your wife. You be the one to make that phone call to get that situation straightened out. Don't let your wife do that. Don't put it off on her, your kids especially, right? We've got some situations. You can't run away from trouble, can you? <laughs> so stay there in Kings just for a second. Turn over to 2 Timothy. Paul had some things he had to tell Timothy along the same line. Sometimes you've got to warn people about you've got to watch out for some people. You've got to deal with some situations. These are all going to be right near each other, but 2 Timothy 4, look what he says. Paul, here again, this is his last letter, and we're getting down to the last few verses he wrote. But this is what he wrote to Timothy. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. And look what he tells him in verse 15. Of whom be thou ware also. Beware of this guy, he says, for he has greatly withstood our words. Saying, you're going to have to deal with this Alexander, Timothy, because I had to deal with him. And then over in Titus, the next book over, Titus 1, in verses 12 to 13, Paul wrote this to Titus. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. And so here he's telling him, you got something you have to do then, Titus. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. So guess what? Just like with Solomon, sometimes we have to confront people, don't we? And we talked about that, didn't we, in Matthew 18? The easy thing to do is to run away from confrontation and problems sometimes, isn't it? But there's times if you're a man, show thyself a man 
You've got to stand up, and by the grace of God, you may need to pray and fast for a week to get the courage to do it. But if that's what you need to do, that's what you need to do. Meet your responsibilities. Galatians 6, if a brother is overtaken in a fault, you with your spiritual restore such a one. Do it in the right way, though, in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. But most people are just going to take the easy route and just look the other way when there's trouble. Because that is the easy route. Because who wants to rebuke a Cretan? And now what he told him to do in Titus? He said, rebuke those Cretans sharply. Well, who wants to do that? But hey, listen, a man that looks to the grace of God can do the hard things. And God expects us to do them, men and women sometimes, right? So you have to have that confrontation when you'd rather not. You have to speak a word when you'd rather not. You have to witness to a stranger. Take that stand in public that you'd rather not have to take. And it takes courage, doesn't it? Show thyself a man. That's what he's telling us. Paul said the same thing. Quit ye like men, he said. Act like men. And that was addressed to men and women. But also, we also need to show kindness to those that have shown kindness to people. In fact, we've got a ministry down that's needing some help that has helped people that have gone down to Guatemala. It's posted on the backboard. They've showed kindness to people from our church, and they need a little help now, and we as a church can show kindness back to them. But if you're right there in 2 Timothy, look in 2 Timothy 1. Paul didn't forget those that, that helped him. 2 Timothy 1, verses 16 to 18, it says, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he has oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me, and what is he praise? The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. So he didn't forget his friends. And there's other places we could look at at the end of these different letters where Paul says, hey, that person helped me out. They were a faithful friend. I was able to trust them. And they helped me in my ministry. And he says, I don't forget them. And I know God won't forget them. And that's the way we need to be. So back to 1 Kings. We've looked at four ways. If we want to establish our households, our kingdoms, the kingdom of God in our lives and our ministry, we looked at four ways that David told Solomon that he could do that. And I would just ask you, are you a man or a woman of God sitting here today? Or are you spiritually like that captain was? You abandon the gospel when the going gets hard. Which is it? But I think I'd like to believe I'm looking at a lot of men and women of God, not the other. So the words of David, they speak to all of us, don't they? Man or woman alike. Be strong. Be thou strong and show yourself a man. So we don't look for strength, do we, to do that? We don't look for that strength in and of ourselves. We talked about that. We look for it how? We look for it from the grace of God. And that's where we stand when trouble comes. We don't abandon ship. We don't spiritually, so to speak, wimp out, but we go boldly when trouble comes to the throne of grace to obtain the help we need to help us deal with whatever situation we'd rather not deal with. That's the way it should be. So we're committed to obey, aren't we? As men of God, we're committed to obey the gospel. And if we obey and our wives and our children or the rest of the world hates us, God will vindicate us in the end, right? 
if we take our stand as men and women, God will vindicate us in the end. If we take our stand in the right way. So we learned also that if we will obey what he says, we'll have more wisdom than our enemies. We'll be one of the wisest men walking the earth through the grace of God and through his word. So we've got to be willing, though, to do the hard things, to have the confrontations if we need to, and to do the things that we'd rather not do. And remember those that have been loyal to us and others around us. So I would say, looking at 1 Kings 2, just as David was looking for Solomon to be a man of God and to continue the legacy, God is looking in this room now for those of us that will be men and women of godly character and have courage and strength in him. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the example you've given us here in your word of David's charge to Solomon, his dying words that he should be strong and show himself a man, and in doing that, that he can walk in your ways, and that is how your strength is exhibited in his life, through his obedience, and it will give him confidence in prayer and to be a leader, and we just thank you that you'll do that, Lord, in all of our hearts here. You'll give us all hearts of courage by your Holy Spirit to be men and women of your word and of your kingdom, and I thank you that you'll do that for us and impress that on our hearts And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.